morning. What a blessed day in the Lord. We are into First uh, John chapter 4. And, you know, it really just struck me this week that as I, I read what we've gone through, I read what's laying ahead over the next few months, and I go back into the Gospel of John, and it's amazing how often John speaks about love. And it, it sort of rang in my mind that um, sometimes in conservative churches, we will sort of push love aside. We get back sometimes into a legalistic mode. We can get back into a, um, uh, a religious mindset. And we forget that uh, the most important ingredient in our Christian walk is love. Love is what compels us. Love is what... Uh, motivates us. Love is what gives us the ability to do what in the flesh we do not desire to do or that we cannot do. And John talks about this. Love is an action word. It's not just something we profess. A lot of times in the world we can hear those words, I love you, but we see betrayal, we see um, bitterness, we see anger, resentment. Love, it says, covers a multitude of sins. Love helps us to move beyond in relationships and in uh, the things that God has called us to do. And it's really God's love, the agape love. We've talked about the different types of love. But it's really that agape love that is a testimony to the world of the power of Christ in us. And so we are going to be different people when we are born again, when we have this personal relationship with Christ. Not because we're something special, but because he is something special that is in us. And he is working through us. And as we talked last week, his love is to come through us. We are a piece of conduit for the Lord that his love would come through us. And so we talk a lot about love and, and acting in love and responding in love and, and, and showing people the love of Christ. And the question is, is, are we doing this? Are we abiding in God and his love? And we talked about that abiding being in him and him and us. And so we're like grafted into the vine. And it says when we're grafted into the vine, we will bear much fruit. Well, one of the primary fruits is that love. It helps us to love those that are undeserving, which we were, right? It helps us to love those that are sometimes unlovable. It helps us to love those that will reject. And so as we continue into chapter 4, though, in this love of God, we need to also understand that we need discernment. We need discernment in not who we love or how we love, but in the spirits that are around us. Because in the world today, we think that if we love, that we accept everything, that we embrace everything, and that everything is okay because of love. And so in the beginning of chapter 4, I think we'll go through maybe the, the first six verses here. It says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world, therefore they speak as the world, and the world hears them. 
We are of God. He who knows God hears us, and he who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. One of the things I may do in future weeks is ask you to hold up your Bible. A lot of times we come to church without the Bible, so I'm just giving you a fair warning. You know, Sometimes we will we'll hold up our phone because we think, well, the phone's our Bible. I really believe that we should have a, a, uh, a hard Bible, you know, like this, that we can make little marks and that we can make little notes. And I think it helps us to grow. It helps us to learn. It holds us accountable. Sometimes people say, well, you know, my version's different than what the pastor's is. That's okay as you read along with it, as you mark in there, you're still making those things. And the reason I say this is because one of the things about knowing, as it talks about here, false teachers, is you have to know the Word of God. You have to spend time in the Word of God. Now, as, as accurate as I think I am sometimes in, in the presenting of the gospel and my thoughts of, of scripture and if we're in the Bible study, the studies that are going on, we, we may trust those teachers and think, well, you know, why do I need that? I believe what they say. That's all well and good. <clears throat> I would say people are greatly uh, intentioned in their beliefs, but you don't believe things because I'm telling you it. You don't believe it because Denny's leading a study. You don't believe it because Cody's up here just reading. You believe it because you've read the Word of God and your spirit knows that the Word of God is truth. So everything that happens in this world, we can balance against the Word of God. That's how we know the spirit of truth from error as it's going to talk. And so the fact of, of false prophets or false teachers, we would call them, we know that by the Word of God. Sometimes we hear things and it just doesn't sit quite right with us. Sometimes it's truth sprinkled with a lie. Many cults start out that way. Amen. We need to know the word of God. We need to be in our, our Bible daily examining the scriptures to see if what Pastor Craig is saying is accurate and true. Of what I'm hearing at my favorite uh, radio station is true or my favorite preacher that I like to listen to. We're never to assume that every spiritual experience or every a demonstration of spiritual powers of God. It tells us that the Antichrist is a great deceiver. <clears throat> it says that Satan, as we talked about quite a while ago, <clears throat> excuse me, he's not going to come like a little red man with a little forked tail and little horns on his head where we say, oh, look at the devil. It says that he comes as what? An angel of light. He's going to look good. He's going to sound good. He's going to present himself would, but he's going to sprinkle the truth with a little bit of lie. We can go back to Genesis in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, and we can see where Satan buffered the truth with a lie. He used the truth, twisted it enough to deceive Eve into eating that apple. We see that all through scripture, where even when Jesus was tempted out in the wilderness, when Satan came upon him, he spoke the word of God. He spoke the truth, but he spoke it in a way that was twisting it, that was deceiving. And so we need to understand that as believers, that we don't believe every spirit, that we don't believe every spiritual experience that goes on. You can turn on the TV, you can see all these, uh, you know, what they call miraculous things going on. We need to really look at God's word, and we need to really have discernment. The discernment of a believer is something that is given from God. It's something that we can hone in our life. 
It's something that we need to use in our life. And so the way that we hone that is as we listen, as we hear, as we experience, as we see, we always balance it with the Word of God. I always say that, you know, some people say, well, the Holy Spirit has led me to do this. And I'll say, well, what does the Bible say, though? Because the Holy Spirit in our life is never going to contradict God's written Word. They're always in unison. God's Word is really our foundation. So when my emotions get going and I'm sort of feeling this way and feeling, you know, angered or I'm feeling like I need revenge or that I've been done wrong or, you know, I feel like we should do this or do that, I can always go back and say, what does the Bible say? That's always one of my biggest questions, not only in my own life but to other people. What does the Word of God say? And so when we look at these spiritual experiences, when we maybe even have them in our life, we need to weigh those things again, against God's word, to see if they are, in fact, from God. Because Satan is a great counterfeiter. And Satan has been at his job for a long, long time. We think sometimes, oh, we're smart. We think, oh, we got the, you know, I got the Holy Spirit in my life, so I'm, I'm sort of immune from these things. We're not. If you have the Holy Spirit in your life and you're trying to live pleasing to God, Satan is putting his crosshairs on you. He wants you. See, he, he doesn't want the one that isn't working for God. He doesn't want the one that isn't walking close to God. He's already got them. They're, they're of no effect. But when your passion and your desire is to really walk with Christ, to be close with him, to do the work of the Lord, we're going to have problems. And so the scriptures talk about this. John knew the dangers of false teachers in his time. And I would say even more so today. It doesn't take a believer long to look at churches or look at ministries that are going on where we see the flawed, you know, where we see uh, the error that is going on. I had a person actually in the, the prison, a teacher that had come up and was talking to me about one of the TV ministers and says, you know, that person is worth, you know, I don't know how many millions of dollars and, and this and that. And they were interviewed on this and they're talking about that. And it's just like an affront to what Christianity is about. See, our walk is to reflect Christ. It's not to reflect the world. It's not to reflect our desires. But when people look at us, do they see Christ in you? Do they see him in your life? Are they experiencing the love of Christ through you and the, the power of Jesus in your life, a changed life? You know, uh, when Facebook first came around, uh, it, was, it was sort of this unique thing because you could go out and find these old friends because when we got married, uh, we were young, we moved up here and I didn't see a lot of my friends. And all of a sudden, we're looking them up on Facebook and you're reconnecting some things and, and uh, all of a sudden it was like, oh, he's a pastor. Can you believe that? Can you believe? And they're thinking that they're private messaging somebody, but the whole world's seeing this. <laughs> I'm seeing this. And it's like, because my life was different back then. My life was terrible back then. And all of a sudden, I'm telling them I'm a Christian, that I'm, I'm a pastor, I'm this and that. And, and they were astounded. To me, that's a compliment. Not for me, but that Christ had changed me enough that somebody could see that difference, that they could see Jesus in our life. So in 1 Thessalonians 5, it says this. It says, test all things, hold fast to what is good. And so we test all things, we listen to all things, we, we, we really want to get to the truth in everything. 
Now listen, many people say they want the truth, but do you really want the truth? I was thinking in Proverbs 20, 27, I think it is, um, Billy, and I should say Billy and Mary, I think they're on their way uh, back north from down the Smoky Mountains, so they might be traveling today. But in my young Christian hood, and I suppose even now if I needed it, I used to get a call every now and then from him that would say, and all he'd say is, iron sharpens iron, and he'd hang up. And I, and I knew he needed to talk to me about something, and it was usually something that was going on in my life that probably shouldn't be there as a Christian. But it says, as iron sharpens iron, one man's countenance sharpens another friend's countenance. So what that means is as friends, as families, as Christians, we're continually wanting to challenge each other. Not to belittle others, not to say, well, I'm greater than you, but to encourage one another in their walk, in their spiritual walk, in the way that they present themselves, in the things that they are doing. I had a a testimony, uh, I think it was just yesterday, as I was talking with a guy, and he was talking about a person that we used to know who would come to church, and their father had died, and and, uh, so she didn't have a father, but one of the men in the church sort of had uh, adopted her as sort of a surrogate father. Now, she was an adult, but she wasn't living the way that she stood, And, and one time he saw her out, and he went up and he talked with her, and he did it out of love, and he just says, you know, he says, the way that you're living is not pleasing to God. And she became very offended at that. And she stopped coming to church over those things. Now, in our lives, we should be reflective of what Christ is doing. What would Jesus do in this situation? Now, we don't just spend our time looking at others. Because if you look at any one of us long enough, you look at me, you're going to find faults. You're going to find things that are wrong. But if I got sin in my life that is evident, if I got things going on in my life that don't belong there as Christians... You have a responsibility and you have a right to come and talk with me about those things. Why are these things going on? We try to get an understanding sometimes of why these things are going on. So we want to use this discernment. Verses 2 and 3. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus is the Christ has come in, in, that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. So does that just mean if I say, well, yeah, I believe Jesus came in the flesh. Does that mean, is that the only test that that I'm a Christian? No, it's not. See, in John's day, they were fighting this Gnosticism, is what it was called. And they were saying that God could not become man because God could not inhabit any impure thing. And as humans, we have sin, and, and our, our matter is decaying. You know, as the day we're born, uh, we're one day closer to dying. I mean, that's sort of how this life goes. But Gnosticism said that God did not come in the flesh and blood. Some believed he was like a hologram. You could see him, but you couldn't touch him, you couldn't feel him. And that's why John, in the beginning, that what we have seen, that what we have heard, that which we have touched, he says we testify of these things. There's many that believe Jesus, now I'm going to say it's not the right Jesus, but there's many that believe Jesus has come in the flesh and in the blood, right? History. There's a a proven historical Jesus. Some people would say that man existed, but they may not believe that he's God. We can go to religions such as Jehovah Witnesses. We can look at Islam. We can look at the Mormons and the Latter-day Saints. They believe in a Jesus They just don't believe in the biblical Jesus. 
Our job is to present the biblical Jesus. We need to believe in who he says he is. And so, though we like to to praise God for uh, who he is as God, we also need to praise him as who he is as man, because both of those are very important to our salvation. Jesus, who came in the flesh, was very important. That's the love that God showed. And it wasn't just Jesus coming and living amongst us and going to the cross and dying that was all the sacrifice. It was also God the Father that sent his Son who knew that his Son was going to go to the cross. So we have Jesus, one part of the Trinity, that was willing to go, and we have God the Father, another part of the Trinity, that says, I'm going to give you my Son. See, this is the love that God talks about. Love is an action. Love is a giving. So the Father gave us the Son. Jesus gave us his life as a showing of that love. And so all true teaching, all true prophecy, shows the truth of Jesus in every aspect. But how do we know the truth of Jesus in every aspect? Well, we get into the Word of God. The Word of God starts in the Old Testament and it talks about the prophecy of the coming Messiah, the coming Jesus, the coming Redeemer that will be there. And when we get into the New Testament, we have the words of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the examples of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus that are all there. And when he had died and was buried and rose again, we have the epistles and the apostles and those that had wrote about the life of Jesus. That's how we know about Jesus. I want you to think back, if if you're uh, older, you can sort of think about this, when you maybe first met your spouse. It's like you want to know everything about them, right? Oh, I want to know what makes her heart flutter. I want to know what her favorite color is. I want to know what her favorite flower is. What's her favorite food? You want to know all these favorite things you can't get enough. Tell me more about yourself. Unless maybe when I was talking, I liked to talk a lot, so maybe she was just gathering that on me. But we want to learn about him. Do you want to learn about Jesus? You go to the Bible. You see what the Word has to say. How did Jesus deal with sinners? How did Jesus deal with the hurt? How did Jesus deal with anger and bitterness and resentment and all these things? Jesus gives us the example. I'm a firm believer that the Word of God has the answers for every problem that you will ever face. It may not be a specific you know, address of something, you know. But the principles in the scripture are always there. You know, a lot of times in the world today, people try to solve the problems of the world by taking the scripture out of the solutions. I share that many years ago, I was, I was part of a, a union and, um, uh, at Lincoln Hills, and I was friends with the HR director, and they were trying to deal with um, problem they had this problem with grievances. So if an employee doesn't like what's going on, they'd file a complaint. And so I sat with her and I said, well, you know, the Bible sort of has the answer for that. And she knew I was a Christian and, you know, she was real open to things. And I said, you know, the Bible says if you sit down and, and, and have a problem with somebody, you go to them one-on-one, you talk about it. If that doesn't work, maybe you get one or two people to go with you and discuss it. And if that doesn't work, then it says, bring it before the church. So I said, you know, in the union, why don't we just do that with management? 
is if somebody has an issue, encourage them to go and talk with their supervisor or administration about it, see if they can work it out. If they can't, then maybe get a representation from each side, and if not, then, then let the grievance process go on. She thought that was a wonderful idea. The only thing, when she presented it to the administration outside of, of Lincoln Hills, they said, oh, no, there's separation of church and state. We cannot do that. So they, they sort of scrubbed it. But somebody got the message because within a year, they had that exact process. They just didn't call it Christian. They said, you know, this is what we're going to do. You go talk with your person, your subordinate or your supervisor, try to work it out, go two, three. If that doesn't work, go and do the grievances. And you know what they found? That grievances went down by 80% by implying that. Now, that's a biblical principle. It's just that the world took the Bible out of it. The world does a lot of that today. They want to take the Bible out of it. But the principles are there. The principles for our life are there for everything that we have. And so verse 4, he goes on, he says, You are of God, little children, and you have overcome them. Listen, if we are of God, you know, it's like uh, cathedrals used to sing a song, I've read the back of the book, and we've won. Okay? We've overcome. No matter what we go through, I always say, you know, no matter how dark that tunnel gets, Sometimes it seems dark. I was talking with Kathy today. She's, they're in a dark tunnel right now. But God is with them. They're walking through it. They're going to be hand in hand through that. And they know that Jesus is on the other side just waiting. And that light is eventually going to shine. When we go through those deserts, those dry arid spaces, we know pretty soon that God is, is with us. And so no matter where we go, he is with us. And he's going to provide that oasis that we need at just the right time. The Bible tells us that he knows exactly what I can stand and what I can't stand. Sometimes I feel like, you know, Lord, one more day and I'm going to break. I'm going to snap. I can't, I can't take it anymore. Sometimes we get there. Life is real, okay? Those situations are real. But God knows exactly where we're at. And you know, God will give us sometimes that phone call at just the right time. You ever had that in your life where you just struggling and then all of a sudden the phone rings and it's somebody and it's just like oh man I just really needed to talk and, and there they are God has provided that or there's a, a lapse or something that happens God's timing is always perfect so we have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world we have the Holy Spirit in us the Holy Spirit is in us for a variety of reasons and, and we like to think, well, it's just there to, to lead me into what I want to do. It's, it's not there. It's there to correct us. It's there to rebuke us. It's there for discernment. It's there to give us strength when we're weak. It's there to give us wisdom when we don't have it. It's there to, to give us the energy and the encouragement to continue on or to encourage others. The Holy Spirit is also there as that avenue of love that we can't do of in and of ourselves. And so God gives us this Holy Spirit. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And we need to believe that, that no matter what we face in this world, that God is in us, and I can, I can stand up to it. He is my shield. He is my fortress. He is my armor. Ephesians 6, read all that. God says, clothe yourself with these things, and you can stand any battle. And he talks about the helmet of salvation, and he talks about... The, the, the shield that can thwart the, the darts of the evil one. Talks about the shoes that will present the gospel of priests in, in the sword that is the word of God that will give us 
the strength and the wisdom that we need in our life. And so he tells us that. He was in you is greater than he was in the world. Do we walk that way? Do we act that way? Do we believe that way? Sometimes I see Christians walking around so defeated, so so down. And, and I understand we go through those times. I think when Cody was sharing about uh, communion this morning, you know, we have forgiveness in Christ. It says in, in John that he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins when we repent of those sins, when we turn from those sins. It doesn't mean, though, that doubt doesn't come in once in a while. Every now and then, no matter how spiritually strong we think we are, sometimes it's just like, God, are you here? Do you hear my prayers? Do you see what I'm going through, God, or are you spending too much time over there? Because I'm hurting over here. I need a little attention. So we get those doubts once in a while. But we always go back to the Word of God. His promises are true. And so he says, they are not of the world. Oh, it says, they are of the world. Therefore, they speak as the world, and the world hears them. I want you to think about an us and them mentality, because there is this in the Scripture. And it's not that us is greater than them who are lesser. The only difference between us and them is salvation in Christ, which was a gift that we didn't deserve that was given to us and, and that we're walking in. Okay? But I want you to think about the world and what the world believes, what the world hears, and how the world speaks. A lot of times you can tell where a person is spiritually by listening to the words they say. You can listen to how they say the words they say. So sometimes the Bible will tell us they mouth great words, but their heart is far from them. But sometimes I hear Christians speaking in such a way that I think that does not bring glory to God. Are we trying so much to be like the world that we are not that strange and peculiar people that God has called us to be? And it says they are of the world and they speak as the world. Sometimes we'll see people, and again, I know fashions come and go, and so I'm not being critical on this, but sometimes we want to look so much like the world. We want to dress like the world. We want to listen to the same stuff that the world listens to. We want to speak and, and use the slang that the, that the world has. Maybe God has called us to something different. We need to use that discernment. We don't want to be so much like the world that they can't tell the difference. I want to be that Christian that when somebody meets me or talks with me, they say, you know what, there's something different about you. Because that was my experience when I was coming to Christ. I had people come into my life and I'd say, man, there's something different about them. And I want to be like them. I didn't understand that it wasn't about them, that it was about Christ at the time. But it didn't take them long to deflect from themselves and say, it's not about me, it's about Jesus. You need to know Christ in your life. And so when we have that in our life, I want to be that type of person where somebody says, there's something different about you. Do we listen to the world? Do we act like the world? Do we speak like the world? It says, we are of God. He who knows God hears us. And so when we can speak the truth from Scripture, not taking Scripture out of context to bolster some stand we want, but we take Scripture in context and as a whole, so when we do that, we're looking at not just one verse. You know, sometimes we do that like skeet shooting. We shoot this verse, and then we shoot this verse. And we sort of spread it out. No, we take Scripture in context. Who's the audience? What's he talking about? Why is he saying this? And then is there other Scripture that backs it and supports it? Because people are very good sometimes at taking one Scripture out of context that will contradict other Scriptures in the Bible. And so we need to make sure that 
Everything is in context and as a whole. And so it says, we are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who does not know God does not hear us. Now, does that mean that everything I say, if, if you question it or something, that you're not of God? No, that's not what that's saying. He's talking about speaking the truth, speaking the word of God, speaking the teachings of God. And so if I'm speaking the teachings of God, and you're a Christian, and you're growing in your faith, and I'm a Christian growing in my faith, we're going to be able to agree upon those things that are clear. See, a lot of things in this Bible are very, very, very clear, okay? And so we can understand those things. We don't need to take those things out of context, or we don't want to see those things get twisted. You know, some of the biggest cults in the world today, prosperity gospel being one of them, they'll take a scripture and they just twist it up. Oh, you should have this, and you should have that. You should be prospering and, and, and having mansions and nice fancy cars and blah, blah, blah. And, and, they, and they'll use scriptures to, to back that thought. Can you imagine that? Okay? It's not that God doesn't, does, doesn't want to bless us. He wants to bless us, but he wants to bless us in the ways that are important to him, not in the ways that are important to us or not in the ways that are important to the world. Because for the preacher or the church or the Christian that says, well, I need to attain this certain level of, of prestige in order to be recognized as a successful Christian, you know, is a wrong thinking. We are servants. We are servants of Christ. And so we walk in his ways. They twist it that way. We can look at, at all the cults that started, the David Koresh's, you know, the uh, uh, Jonestown pastor you know he was they called him a prodigy when he was a young kid he was like I think like 12 years old on the street corners preaching the word and I mean the word he wasn't twisting it back then but as he grew and as the world got a hold of him and as power and whatever corruptness got into him he started salting the truth with a lie the only way that we know what a lie is besides discernment is the word of God if you don't have a Bible and you need a Bible, study Bible, whatever type of Bible, I would say let the church know. We'll get you one. If you got one that's sitting at home, maybe on the counter, getting a little dusty, I would say dust it off. Get back into it. You know, we got Bible studies that are going on through this church. There's other opportunities to, to grow in God's Word. You need to spend some time in God's Word. The Bible says, if you love me, you will do what I command. God has told us that we need to spend time walking in his ways. It says in Peter, he's left us an example that we should follow in his footsteps. Jesus answered many questions with scripture, with Old Testament scripture. Isn't that amazing? How many questions can we answer in the world that comes around us with some scripture? Well, if we don't know the scripture, we can't do that, right? Then we're sort of into, well, you know what I think? And honestly, I tell people when I use that phrase, you know what I think? Unless it's about like how to catch a fish or something like that. I say, wipe it away. Ask me, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? We need to spend time in the Word of God. You know, wherever the true Jesus is presented, Satan is busy trying to present a counterfeit Jesus. They'll call him Jesus. They'll call him Savior. They may call him Messiah. They may say he's a good man. They may see these things. But wherever Jesus is found in his righteousness, Satan just wants a counterfeit. So he's not going to care if, if you're praising and, and worshiping and saying I'm a Christian and I'm a Jesus follower and I'm this. If they're following the wrong Jesus, 
but he does when you're following the right Jesus. And I want to just tell you, and warn you if you don't know already, but the closer you want to walk with Jesus, the more that, that you, you look at things around you and you say, you know what, this is, this is really where I need to be. You know, I want, to, I want to do what's pleasing to him. Not just what's pleasing to the church or to the community or to this. I want to be pleasing to him. And as, as the more that you walk towards him and in that narrow path, sometimes the tougher things get around you. Amen. You're going to be called to make some decisions that are hard. You're going to be called sometimes to stand up against things that maybe you've just sort of tried to turn a blind eye to because, you know, it, life is just easier if you don't have to do that battle. You know, I, we come across this all the time in the world today. To walk with Jesus is not the easiest thing. If it was easy, everybody would be doing it, right? But no, to walk with Jesus is tough. But it says that he was in us. Again, it's greater than he was without us. And in Philippians, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Our rewards are not just in this world. Our rewards are waiting for us in heaven. So raise your family the way that God has commanded. Love your spouse the way that God's word has commanded. Be a friend the way that God has commanded. Be accountable to one another the way that God's word has commanded. And as we do this, we don't just grow individually, but we begin to grow as a community. We begin to grow as a church. And then we begin to grow outwardly that way. And all of a sudden, the world is looking and they see light. Learn to forgive. Learn to walk in, in that newness of life that God has given you. Learn to, to really put away things when you say, you know, where we've said sometimes, oh yeah, that, that doesn't bother me anymore, but how come every time when I talk to you, it keeps coming up? You know, that shows that I haven't dealt with it in my life. So learn to really turn those things over. It's like, just like the lifeguards say, you know, when you're drowning, they say, when I come to save you, you just relax. Don't try to swim because you'll drown us both. God's got a hold of us. He just wants to, to get us where we need to go. And we follow him one step at a time. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again, Lord, for the word. And Lord, we understand that the devil doesn't really care if we know Jesus or love Jesus or pray to Jesus as long as it's a false Jesus. But Lord, we seek after the Jesus of the Bible. One of the most amazing things, I think, in this fallen and... and defunct world is that we still have the word of God the word of God is alive and active the word of God is available to us we have that resource we have that, that toolkit we have that treasure box that is available to each and every one of us Father help us to open it help us to dig into it help us to, to spend time and Lord, we understand that there's a lot of mysteries in there. There's a lot of things that sometimes we don't understand. But Lord, you can give us the understanding. And as we join together as a church family, together we can learn those things and work through those things. So Father, just help us to understand that the principle of, of really presenting a true Jesus is essential not to only just testing the spirits, but to really winning souls to Christ. And that's what your church is here for, is to win the lost to Christ. Help us to do that, Lord. We ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.